The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In January of 1945, 513 American and Allied POWs were waiting for death in a prison camp somewhere deep in the Philippines. They were survivors of the Bataan Death March, on which, as you may know, as many as 20,000 prisoners had died. Over three years in captivity, 20,000 more had already died in the camp. The prisoners there had no reason to think that they wouldn't be next. They had no idea if anyone back home even knew where they were. Then one night, 121 U.S. Rangers appeared out of the dark. After a very brief struggle, the gates were thrown open and the captives were set free. The prisoners were so stunned by this that some of them didn't believe it was real. They refused to leave. They had to be carried out. A book written about the experience described it this way. Slowly, the awareness that this was a jailbreak was beginning to sink in among the rest of the prisoners. They were reacting with a kind of catatonic ecstasy, numb and inarticulate. One prisoner wrapped his arms around the neck of the first ranger he saw and kissed him on the forehead. All he could say was, Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> Alvy Robbins found one prisoner muttering in a darkened corner of one of the barracks, tears coursing down his face. I thought we'd been forgotten, the prisoner said. No, you're not forgotten, Robbins said. We've come for you. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. Advent begins in the dark, in the bottom of the night. Advent is the word of the Lord going out to the prison camps like this one in the broken places of this world, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted, to the captives, to the prisoners, to bring them good news. We began this season with the great litany when we processed around the church and prayed that the good Lord would deliver us from our sins and the powers of darkness. And now, here, halfway through the season, at midnight, the light starts to break in. The word of the Lord comes to find us in the prison camp, waiting for death, and proclaims liberty and release, comfort and joy. Slowly, here in what just half a second ago was darkness and chains, the good news begins to sink in. This is a jailbreak. We're like those who dream, as the psalmist says, is this real? Can it be? We thought we'd been forgotten. But no, we haven't been. 
the Lord has come for us. For everyone who finds themselves, in the words of Isaiah, being read in churches around the world, oppressed, broken-hearted, captive, this is very good news. It's important to remember that it's precisely this passage, as you may recall, that Jesus stands up one Sabbath day in the synagogue to read, just like one of our lectors would do here. After he reads the passage, he sits back down and says to everyone there, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what I'm going to do, Jesus is saying. There you are, sitting in the prison camp waiting for death with your ratty, smelly prison uniform hanging over your skin and bones. And then so suddenly you can hardly believe it. You're wearing the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness, priceless jewels like it's your wedding day. And something happens deep in your heart and your mouth is filled with laughter, your tongue with shouts of joy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. This is good news. But it's possible, I think, that we may have a hard time hearing it that way, in all of its depth for us. We won't hear it as good news if we don't actually see ourselves in the words of Isaiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. If we fail to see, that is, that he's not just talking about some of us or someone over there, but all of us, me, you. We might have a hard time seeing ourselves as oppressed and captive, as, as the collect puts it, sorely hindered by our sins. But if we aren't any of those things, then why would we even need the good news that our Savior has come to set us free? Well, like many of you, I'm a great lover of Charles Dickens's classic story, A Christmas Carol. Whatever version it might be, I actually really like the Muppets version of The Christmas Carol. <laughs> Dickens, as you know, tells the tale of a crotchety old miser, Ebenezer Scrooge, who comes over the course of you know, the ghost of Christmas past and whatnot to learn the truth and the joy of what you might say is Christ's teaching, that it is better to give than to receive. It's a wonderful story, with, I think, a real Christian message. But, since Dickens wrote it, it has become such a powerful way to understand what Christmas is all about, that I worry it can sometimes obscure the deeper meaning of this season. You've probably heard it said that giving is the reason for the season. People who are raising money say that. Giving is the reason for the season or who are selling things. Of course, there's nothing at all wrong with giving, is there? You may, of course, remember that Mother Emily and I sent out a reminder about sending in your pledge cards only last week. Here I am reminding you again. The danger is not giving. The danger comes when, let's say, we walk out of Target or Tom Thumb and put some loose change in the Salvation Army kettle, and we think to ourselves, 
Oh, how generous I am. That's the trouble. The trouble, you see, is when we start to turn the spotlight on ourselves, to look at myself being all generous, on how wonderful we are for giving away something that, in reality, may not even make a dent in our pocketbooks or much of a difference in how we live our lives, on, or it makes us think about how much we have compared with those needy people who depend on us. It's pride. Gift officers at major universities and nonprofits often appeal to our pride in this way to raise money. You can have your name on a building somewhere, right? I have to admit that sometimes churches do this too. There's a story about this. A priest of this diocese once served in a wealthy parish somewhere in Louisiana. This parish was short at the end of the year on their annual budget, so one day two old gentlemen came by his office. The first one sat down and opened his checkbook and wrote out a check right there for $10,000. After he left, the second fellow came in. He sat down and said to the priest, All right, Father, what did he just give you? Whatever it was, I'll give you $1,000 more. Now, I don't know what was in his heart. Maybe it was generosity. But it's at least possible that some of what was going on there was that he didn't want the other guy to be known as the biggest giver in the church. He wanted that to be him. He wanted to be the big shot around there. Well, if so, then that's the kind of prideful do-goodery that Jesus saw in the Pharisees and warned us against. When you give, Jesus tells us, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's all true, isn't it? It's true what Jesus says. It is indeed better, as Scrooge learned, to give than to receive and to do so with real generosity instead of self-focused pride. But, here's the but. As important as that is, and as many presents as we may buy for family and loved ones, I want to suggest that giving isn't actually the reason for the season. On Christmas, I think instead it's just the opposite. On Christmas, it's actually better to receive than to give. Does that sound strange? Well, we might prefer to see ourselves as the real givers on Christmas, as self-sufficient and strong, dispensing gifts to the people that really need help out there somewhere. But that's not what happened at the first Christmas, is it? No, the gospel writers go out of their way to make clear that the coming of Christ, the great gift of God's own life, had nothing to do with us. It wasn't about us giving God a gift. God worked not through ordinary, natural means, but he bowled us over with signs from above, angels in the heavens, a poor and pregnant virgin, and a weak and helpless child who was also if you can believe it, a great and mighty king. It is humbling to receive such a gift. God became man 
Eternity dwindled to infancy, not because we earned it, but simply because God gave himself to us. There's a part of us that doesn't like this, I think, that would much rather earn salvation and favor with God for ourselves. As John Wesley put it, nothing is more repugnant to capable, reasonable people than grace. But I think we can have Christmas no other way. Archbishop Oscar Romero said it best. No one, he said, can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who because they have everything look down on others, those who have no need even of God, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God. Emmanuel. God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. I'll close with a story that I hope shows us something of what this means. Some years ago, the New York Times ran a feature story about panhandlers in the Port Authority bus terminal, people who begged for loose change by day and slept in the bus station at night. The story focused on a small band of ex-crack cocaine addicts who had banded together and were trying to make something of themselves. One young woman of 26 who had made a string of very bad choices was eager to show the reporter that she wasn't just a lowlife. She had a little TV set with her, and she pulled out the receipt and showed her, just to prove that she hadn't stolen, stolen it. She told of how in her crack attic days she had learned to lie, cheat, manipulate, and steal to feed her habit. But she wasn't like that anymore, she insisted. We are trying to turn ourselves around, she said. She said, how when she goes to sleep at night on the floor of the terminal that she always finds dollar bills tucked away in her blanket when she wakes up. A couple years, maybe even a twenty. When that happens, there's no way for passers-by to know that she's kicked the drugs and was trying to turn her life around. They didn't know that the TV set sitting there was bought and paid for. <coughs> any of that. They didn't know whether she deserved their gifts or not, or whether she was going to put it to good use. They just gave anyway. You see, our God does this for us at Christmas. He doesn't wait for us to break ourselves out of the prison camp. He doesn't wait for us to rid ourselves of the sins that sorely hinder us and to turn our lives around. God just comes and gives us himself. And then our God does more than just tuck a few dollars in our blanket and get on the bus to go off someplace warm. Instead, he is born there on that blanket in the bus terminal, in the prison camp, in the middle of the night. 
God with us. Emmanuel, here to stay. May we prepare our hearts this season to receive him there. May we know the joy of Christmas. The joy of Christmas that says, we're not forgotten. This is a jailbreak. Christ is coming for us here.